Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. For a show about work, we talk a whole lot about not working. This is appropriate because contrary to conservative talking points, we don't as a population really have a problem with working too little. If anything, we need help figuring out how to work less, how to convince ourselves and others that the ideal worker is not, in fact, a robot, but someone who needs rest, who needs vacation, and this is an important one, also has a life outside of work. And you know what's part of that life outside of work? People and animals, friends and family. And people and animals and friends and family die. Sometimes we see those deaths coming for a long time and spend months or years in anticipatory grief. Sometimes those deaths come suddenly and we're grappling with shock in addition to overwhelming sadness. Some workplaces have bereavement policies in place that allow workers to take a day, maybe slightly more, to attend a funeral. But often those allowances are only for close family members, even though devastating grief is by no means limited to blood or legal relation. So today, I wanted to take some time to think about how we can be more expansive and how we make space for grief in the workplace, in the policy we create, in the way we respect the needs of coworkers, in public and in private. I'll note here that we got so many questions about dealing with pregnancy loss that we decided to turn that into its own future episode. But we have questions dealing with so many other forms of grief and a co-host, as you'll see, who spent a whole lot of time thinking through how we can be better at making space to grieve, both for ourselves and for others. My name is Dina Gashman, and I am a journalist and author of the new book, So Sorry for Your Loss, How I Learned to Live with Grief and Other Grave Concerns. So what is the story behind the book? Why did you feel like you needed to write it? So I've been a writer for many years. I didn't write about grief until my mom was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2015, and she died in 2018. And then my sister, Jackie, died of alcoholism two years later. So it was this kind of double blow in our family. And um, I had started writing about grief a little bit after my mom died, just essays and, and things like that. And then when my sister died, I somebody had given me like a book of Zen quotes about grief. And I just, it made me really angry (laughs) because I love a good Zen quote, but like, I did not want to be soothed and I didn't want to read about like babbling Brooks. I wanted to be really angry (laughs) and, you know, pissed and all the things. And so I just felt like I'm a writer. We have this experience of, you know, losing two people. And then also my sister's alcoholism. I thought just maybe I had something to add to the grief books that are already out there that are already amazing. So it was about a couple months after my sister died when I thought, okay, maybe I I actually should write about this. And I also wanted to look at grief like straight in the face, right? And instead of avoiding it, because it had come into my life in such profound ways. So I was like, you know what, let me just get in there and and figure this out. And I think kind of the journalist in me wanted to learn more about it. So I sort of dove in and interviewed people. And so it's part memoir, part reporting. Well, and, you know, the alcoholism pit, I think... People are used to, for lack of a better phrase, Mm -hmm. knowing how to comfort someone when they die from from cancer, Mm -hmm. right? But I think losing someone to alcoholism or drug addiction or there's lots of other just variations. Like, Mm -hmm. it's complicated. It's really complicated. It is. Yeah. People people don't know what to say in general with grief, I think. But 
Yeah. Definitely like saying like, oh, she's not suffering anymore. Like, isn't like the best thing <laughs> to say <laughs> to someone who's lost a sibling to alcoholism. Right. So yeah, I think people don't right. know how to deal with it. And, you know, there's a type of grief when they're here, right? I mean, yeah. um, when they're still living, there's a kind of, you're like grieving the relationship you want to have with them. And yeah. so that's a whole other thing that isn't, I think, I didn't understand it until I started writing the book. Right. Well, or like grieving a parent or relative from whom you're estranged. Yeah. Like yeah. that that's super complicated, yeah. right? People are like, oh, well, you weren't really close with them. I was like, uh, you know, part of the sadness is that I wasn't really yeah. close with them. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. complicated. Yeah. Um, and then I we're gonna talk about this more, but you know, I recently lost a beloved pet. Oh, I'm sorry. And dog grief or pet grief, also, some people really get it. Yeah. And then some people are like, it's just a dog. I know. <laughs> they, yeah, it, it's funny because that was, um, there were two chapters in my book that I got cold feet um, mm. and I did not want to write. And the one of them was yeah. about losing pets because one was about losing children because I was terrified to interview parents. Yeah. But the pet one, I was like, well, I'm talking about losing my sister. I'm talking about all this really hard stuff. And there's humor in the book too, by the way, but really hard stuff. And then I'm, and then all of a sudden it's a chapter about pets. And I just thought, oh, maybe that's too frivolous. And I told the editor and she's like, no, 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 you need to keep it. And then we got a dog like right at that time. And the minute we brought him home, I was like, this is totally valid. I cannot <laughs> imagine losing this animal. The chapter's yeah. super important. And so, yeah, I have a friend who just, his dog just died. And he told me, he's like, this is actually maybe harder than when my dad died. Like it's really hard and people don't acknowledge it. Yeah. Well, one thing that I always remember that a friend of mine who's a therapist told me that her therapist told her that grief for pets, like the relationship we have with pets is so unique in part because they are such like a pure and open receptacle for our love. Mm -hmm. The way that you love your pet is really unfettered by societal boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, just there is like... There's no baggage there. Yeah. And yeah. and so when you lose that, you're also losing access in some ways to that particular love. Yeah. And so I think that that was one of the things that helped me recognize why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And I understand that uh, people who haven't lost pets maybe don't understand how it could be that profound the same way that people who have never lost someone really important to them until that happens. Yeah. Right. It's, it's hard to understand. It is. And you can still sympathize and empathize. But yeah, w- once you have true deep grief, like I had lost grandparents who I adore, but this was a whole other ballgame. So it definitely gives you other layers of understanding. Yeah. So we want to talk about the intersection between grief and bereavement and the workplace. And, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that we previously did not have any questions in our big long document of questions we have hundreds and hundreds of questions that people have submitted that are that were specific to this topic and then i did a call out and we received so many so many and so i i think that that speaks to the fact that this is something that people don't necessarily immediately think of as a workplace topic but mm-hmm. that is actually a really unaddressed yes. workplace topic like it's something that we need to talk a lot about yeah so we're going to first play two questions back to back from grieving people who don't fit into the company's bereavement policy. This is something that I think is really common. There are these narrow bereavement Mm -hmm. policies that don't make room for the complexity of human grieving. So first we're going to hear from Esther and then from Emily. 
Do you have any advice for workers or managers on requesting bereavement or grief accommodations or on formulating policies for non-standard kinds of grief and non-familial relationships? I lost a close friend to suicide and my manager kindly treated it as a sibling loss for official leave entitlement purposes. I am very fortunate that my employer has good bereavement leave policies generally, but they focus entirely on family. I would have been entitled to five days leave for the death of an in-law who I'm not close with, but none at all for an oldest friend. My experience was positive, but I wondered if Anne and the smartest people she knows can speak at all on the theme of complex and or non-familial grief in the workplace. Should your employer know your non-related big loaf people? My question is about corporate policies when it comes to grieving chosen family members. I didn't have grandparents growing up. They had either passed or were estranged. So when the man I considered my grandfather, the man who brought Big Macs for my sixth grade lunchroom, who taught me to love licorice, who always had a smile for me and said he was so proud, passed in 2017, the best way to categorize him to my employer was godfather. However, because he wasn't one of a select few direct blood relatives listed in the employee handbook for which bereavement leave was eligible and there was no HR representative, I was forced to use PTO instead. I'm curious if, as the idea of a chosen family has become more mainstream, if there's been any movement to create or evolve bereavement plans or definitions to be more inclusive. All right. So the way that I think we should first address these questions is thinking about why bereavement leave policies are often so specific and strict in the first place. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I think, you know, bereavement leave in America is not, I mean, it's very um, scarce. <laughs> so any, like that first person was saying, they're pretty lucky because most companies, you maybe get one to five days. I mean, it's it's not great, but, you know, it goes along with those traditional roles of the mother, the father, the sibling, you know, just keeping it at the immediate family. And yeah. I think part of that is kind of a traditional sort of old school way of thinking. And then it may be also... They don't want to start opening it up to like a neighbor, but it is human relationships are complicated. So maybe your neighbor is like the most important person in your life. Right. And right. it's hard to explain that to a boss. Like my neighbor died. I, I really am struggling. But I think, yeah, I would imagine it's just looking at things in a more traditional way. And and I don't think the government really budges much on bereavement leave as of yet. It reminds me of so many policies that we have in place, both like governmental and organizational, that are really trying to legislate or like govern in a way that assumes that everyone is trying to defraud the government or the organization. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if you run a, I always think of this from my time in teaching, like if you try to run a classroom with the understanding that every student is trying to cheat mm -hmm. all the time yeah. or always trying to get out of class for some reason, it's going to result in a very specific sort of environment mm -hmm. and a way that those people feel trusted or valued, whether they're your students or your family or, or your employees. And I just like how many employees are trying to like come up with fake dead grandmas <laughs> so they can get a few extra days off of work, right? Yeah. Sure. There are a couple. There are a couple people with yeah. many fake dead grandmas. But when I was teaching, I always thought if this person has to come up with a reason, like it has to come up with another fake dead grandma, something else is going on. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like there is there the, again, very, very unique 
experiences where sometimes someone just wants to like go party and they're just hungover all the time. But most of the time they need more leave because something else is going on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not that every employee is going to be like, oh, somebody died. Because first of all, faking grief is pretty gross. Because <laughs> <Yes>, <laughs> grief is right? like, you know, it's like a faking of diagnosis or something. I mean, it's, right. it's such a horrible thing to go through. And yeah, I don't yeah. think every employee, but I think that's part of it too, is they're just scared. They're like, well, you know, if we open it up to any kind of bereavement, people are just going to take advantage, right? And and that's yeah. just not true, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. But that is always the fear. It's like, if we let people work from home, no one's going to work. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if we let people have bereavement leave for a chosen family, everyone's just going to be grieving all yeah. the time. Yeah. Like, no, it's yeah. <laughs> not, not gonna, it's They're not going to be calling and saying like, so-and-so died. And I love that term that that person uses like the big love people like I think that's really sweet but I think hopefully most bosses or employers would understand like if you say like this is my best friend and they're not I mean it is tricky because that person was lucky right that they had a workaround and they could you know say it was a sibling but maybe you know it's about like finding workarounds or just explaining you know why these people are important but we shouldn't have to do that is the point well and this also I think connects to the issue of like manager trust yeah if a manager doesn't trust that you say this was an incredibly important person to me i need to take a few days to to process this if they think that you are in some way defrauding you then they don't trust you yeah. at all yeah their relationship is a broken one mm-hmm. fundamentally it's about something much larger and most of the time i don't think that's the employee's fault i mm-hmm. think it's that the manager themselves has not created an environment of trust yeah I know it makes me think years ago, I was waiting tables at this hotel and I got like horrible food poisoning. Like I was a little like green. I mean, it was pretty yeah. clear. And and I was like, I got to go. Like, I can't do this. And I remember the manager didn't believe me. He was like, I don't know. It doesn't usually hit that fast. Did you really have it? And like, this is years ago and I'm still mad at him. <laughs> I'm still like, how dare you? Like, I can't, I'm not faking. I'm like sweating and like, so it's like, that's not grief, but like, I, I was so like that relationship was never the same. You know, it was right. just so, you know, like you're saying, just, there's no trust there. So, yeah. you know, I hope that if somebody goes to a manager and says like, I'm in pain, I'm grieving that they're not going to, you know, think that they're out to get them or something. So when we think though, about like how we can craft policies moving forward, because I think most organizations just like from a legal standpoint or an HR standpoint, or like we have to have boundaries in some Mm -hmm. capacity. How are you thinking about what a great bereavement leave policy would look like? I mean, I think, so there's an organization called Evermore that I, the woman who started Julia Mulher and I found her, I interviewed her for my book, but she, I mean, they're doing a lot. So I think anybody who's interested should definitely check out Evermore because they're actually like lobbying Congress and, trying to get more leave and I think trying to make it more inclusive, right? Like, so, so that it's not these narrow definitions of mother, father, sibling. But I think that, you know, right now, not, I don't even think you get bereavement relief through FMLA. It's just depend, just up to the company. I mean, on a federal level, that would be great. But I think that, you know, allowing people flexibility at least, right? If you're not going to give six weeks paid leave for you know, grief. I mean, I didn't get that for maternity leave. I got two weeks. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it would start with acknowledging different kinds of grief and acknowledging the different kinds of relationships 
and at least allowing conversations where people can say like, look, if I'm not going to take off three weeks, then I'm going to need some flexibility or I'm going to need to work from home. Yeah, because for me, a lot of my initial grieving period was more like, I don't want to put on my work face Mm -hmm. and be around people all day. Yeah. And so you can still oftentimes do some work like I was it was a welcome distraction to do some Mm -hmm. some work. But I also like having conversations with people made me want to cry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So like giving giving people that option to like figure out how to work flexibly, I Mm -hmm. think is is a good way to do it. I think some companies would be like, you can list six people who are important to you that aren't your blood (laughs) relatives. Like, is that too, I don't know, regimented? Like, it's like, because it would be like your will, right? You'd be like, I forgot to update my six people. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of a little morbid. Like, let me put my best friends on here. You know, they're 22, but whatever. Right. Um, So it's like hard to say that or like anticipate like, well, one day, you know, this person's kind of reckless. Like, so it's kind of hard to like, you <laughs> no, know. No, that's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> I can't do that. No, I, I don't know. It's about communication, right? Like it should just always be a conversation, right? Instead of these like super strict rules that part of it is I think people don't feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I know I didn't at work. I mean, I would like, we had this alleyway behind, I worked in an office at the time when my mom was diagnosed and when she died and we had this alleyway and I would, I was constantly in the alleyway walking and crying and, you know, that was just my place. And I was scared to show it at work. And I look back and I'm like, you know what? If I would have talked to my manager and just been like, look, this is what's going on with me. My mom is sick. I may have some time where I just need to go take a little break. He would have, I think it would have been okay. I just was so scared because I think there's the fear of like, okay, if you say that, are they going to like judge your work differently? Are they going to think you're slacking? It's kind of hard to put it out there. So this is a great segue into like a kind of sub question that we got related to this. And this is from someone named Katja, whose best friend was just diagnosed with terminal cancer and has three to six months to live. And the bereavement policy in her workplace does not cover anyone except for immediate family. But Katja is wondering how and whether to talk to her manager ahead of her friend's death. What do you think? I mean, I think as soon as you feel comfortable. I mean, or even before you feel comfortable because it's never really comfortable. It's always hard to talk. I'm like a wimp. I was always scared to talk to managers about anything. Um, But I think as soon as possible, because then they're going to understand what you're going through and maybe they can check in with you or just have that extra care with you so you don't feel like you have to hold it in. And it, and that's a lot. I mean, to to have that on you that your best friend is dying in this in this certain amount of time is just so much to hold. And so, I would say as soon as possible, have, just have the conversation. So at least, I would imagine it would probably make them feel better rather than worse to get it out there. Right. Well, and the other thing is that at some point, probably you're going to break under the mm-hmm. load. Yeah. If you're trying to pretend like nothing is happening, at some point there is going to be. Not not like an explosion or like it's just things are going to mm-hmm. fall apart, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if you can be anticipatory mm-hmm. and keep that line of communication a little bit more open, I think that's really important. I don't think that you have to say like you don't have to disclose this person's private information. Mm-hmm. Like you can just say they're dying. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. people wouldn't pry me on that. But yeah, yeah, just say like this is what's going on. This is what I'm dealing with and, and it's going to be coming on the horizon just so you know and I, I would think a manager would appreciate knowing that right because it's hard when it's just all of a sudden like oh uh this happened and I gotta go right I mean yeah 
And so if, if maybe everyone knows that and they, they feel like they're being communicated to, I just think it would make it better on everybody, especially when that person does have to take time off. And then maybe they can yeah. have a, not a surprise conversation, but a conversation about like, actually, can I, you know, if there's a bereavement policy in place, like, can, can I use some of that time? Like to just go ahead and bring it up. Right. Gosh. It's so hard that like your best friend, you don't get time for that. Ugh, it's, like, yeah. I just pretend like your best friend is your sister. Yeah. Our next question is from Danny, and it's about a different sort of grief. I recently lost my dog, Potato, back in March. He'd been with me for over a decade. I feel lucky that this is the first major and immediate loss that I've suffered as an adult. But navigating a new job, onboarding, and training during his illness and passing was an absolute nightmare. I took one full day off to say goodbye but didn't have any means of effectively communicating how much I was struggling and how much pain I was in. I would love your perspective on how to manage this kind of unusual grief and bereavement at work. This is very close to home mm -hmm. for me because I lost my dog a couple of months ago, a very, very special dog who had been through a lot with us. And I was able to take time off because I'm my own boss, but for people in traditional work settings, what advice do you have for this type of grief? Well, I'm glad, so glad somebody asked about pets um, because like I was telling you before, I there's a chapter in my book about pets and it was one that I didn't know. I wasn't sure if it should be in there. Is it too frivolous? And then I got a dog and the whole thing, you know, I was like, yeah. animals are incredibly important. People sort of brush it off. Like it's a dog, it's a cat, like it's a lizard, you know, whatever animal you love. But again, communicating and, and trying to explain to somebody why it's so important. There's a, um, yeah. actually interviewed a guy who specializes in like grief psychology for people who lost pets. And so like his whole business and, you know, his whole thing is grief is grief. And he talked about the fact that sometimes it actually, pet loss can hurt worse because it is pure and because it can actually bring up other things. Like say you lost yeah. your mother a couple of years ago and then your pet dies, it can all kind of come rushing through totally. together. So it's really nothing to scoff at. And so, you know, I think if you've lost a, an animal and you're devastated, I would talk, I, if, you know, not have that shame, like don't have that shame of like, oh, they're going to think this is so stupid. They're going to think I'm being like wimpy and just own that it really is devastating. And, you know, yeah. maybe just telling them like, you know, I know it's a pet, but I'm truly devastated. I loved this animal. And most feeling humans would hopefully understand that. But I think there is a little bit of like embarrassment around it, yeah. which should change because for those of us who love our animals, we understand that it's it's totally devastating. Yeah. Well, and I hope people too who maybe don't have that relationship with animals or with their pets, like, and they're listening to this, maybe just have an openness mm -hmm. to understand like you might not totally identify with the feeling of that loss, but maybe you can make space. Yeah. To imagine how someone might feel differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And not like, judge it. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I think that's that's part of it, too, is that there is this judgment. And I've seen this. I really, mm -hmm. I saw it uh, happen, not, not with me personally, but, like, other people who have 
graved pots for an, especially for an extended period of time it's like oh well why can't they just get over yeah, it right yeah. or like that's a little much don't you think and <laughs> every grieving person's favorite thing like when are you gonna get over this right ne- like never never right? actually <laughs> i'll be sad forever but it's okay <laughs> right like i'm like tearing up just talking about it and we're not even talking about my dog yeah, like yeah um and I, I think like that is such an opportunity for you to not be an asshole, yeah. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> to just be like offer some grace for someone yes. feeling something that you might not understand. Yeah, you know, I have uh, when I was twenty two, my ex boyfriend, who is an incredibly important person to me, was killed in Iraq, and I went to the funeral and was just like. Devastated. I mean, I was devastated for when it happened. And then I like went to the funeral in Arlington and I was staying with a friend. And like, just some people in that larger orbit were like, I don't understand why she's such a wreck, right? Like, they weren't even dating. I'm like, yeah, it was more than that, right? Like, it was so much more important than that. And like, I have never forgiven that people could react that way. Oh, I don't blame you. And so, I think that if you look at it as an opportunity to be really understanding of someone, Mm -hmm. that's a really great way to think about it. And also, I think people sometimes they don't know how to react until they've been through it themselves. Once you've been through it yourself, like think of every single opportunity when someone is grieving, you're like, okay, I'm going to be the person I wish all the people in my (laughs) orbit would have been when I was grieving, Um, whether it's a pet or a human, like it, it, it doesn't matter. So our next question is from Mindy, who's wondering about dealing with death as part of her work. I work in a job where people don't expect a lot of death, a pediatric PT to be specific. I have been in the field for about 12 years and have had almost 20 kiddos pass. We find out these kids die and then have to act as if nothing is wrong to treat our other little kids. We don't get bereavement for them, although our hearts break. We have to use PTO to go to their funerals. Is there a way to have some type of bereavement for the ones we work with and love so dearly, but not have to use our small PTO to grieve that loss? I mean, it's just so hard. Yeah. So, first of all, God bless that person <laughs> for doing that job. Um, yeah. But just to have to like use PTO to go to a funeral, you know, like for someone you cared for is horrible. Um Yeah. But I just, I mean, that's so much loss. Like, like they're saying, it's not all the time. But it, I mean, it's it's a lot. Once is enough, <laughs> right? So, right. That's really tough. And one thing I talked to a lot of people about, and I I did interview parents who've lost children, and I learned a lot from them. And I think like a ritual can be really helpful for people. So you know, in a lot of ways, like a funeral is a ritual, right? Yep. But if that's hard or you can't take time off, like something, like finding something else. Um, there's a Japanese ritual called Mizuko Kuyo and I found out about it and I was researching and it's basically for parents, but I would imagine this person definitely could do this. And it, you can probably find it at most like Zen temples, but you go and it's honoring um, a child who's died or it's for miscarriage, stillbirth. But what you do is you go to the ceremony and, and they say the name of the child and then you can dedicate a statue in a, in a garden. Like it's called a Jizo statue and you can like go visit it. So that's one example of like something that maybe you could just do yourself um, mm-hmm. to help like mark that loss because it sounds like it's like the the missing of the marking of the loss is, is really hard. Yeah, this is something where I think what the policy is just like so inattentive to the 
the actual trauma of of doing the work that that is necessary and so important, but like really, really hard. And if you don't want your employees to burn out or to become callous and cold, like you need to develop mechanisms that allow that grief to be processed, right? And if attending funerals is one of the things that, like, I think maybe some workers would find that too much, but some workers would really, really like it, right? As a, a means of like seeing all of the people who who loved that kid, mm-hmm. right? Who the all of the ways that that kid was special and and beloved, like that should be part of the workday, right? Yeah. Like that is that is part of your job 100%. if you choose to make it part of your job, and allowing for that. That's something that either like can happen top down, or if this person is part of any sort of union, which a lot of healthcare professionals are, mm-hmm. like that that is a lobbying point. Being able to have leave for that sort of thing, yeah, and like you're saying it. it I mean, talk about burnout, right? I mean, that's why so many nurses and doctors, I mean, there's just so much burnout. And yeah, if you're dealing with this, but you're not allowed to be human at your job and your job is such a like emotional one. I mean, I don't, people yeah. are like, oh, they're in the med- medical profession. They need, you know, but no, you're human. You're taking care of children. Yeah. Um, that yeah, it should, it, it would lead to burnout or just somebody feeling like, why am I doing this? Right. You probably, right it makes it feel less meaningful if, but if somebody could say, Hey, I want to go to this child's funeral, we really bonded, then that absolutely should be an option. And on the flip side too, just as like a human, I think it's also meaningful to parents to see the healthcare Mm -hmm. professionals who worked with their kid who like, were like, this person was special to me. Like I, I recognize this person, not just as a patient, but Mm -hmm. as a person. Yeah. I, I have heard of different healthcare professionals who do do like small services, Mm -hmm. Or, or remembrances for patients, like yeah. in in the workplace, um, just as a way of maybe reproducing some of that feeling of closure and mm-hmm. and of like honoring that person. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that I think could be developed on your own. But I personally, I think it should be structural. Mm-hmm. I think that it shouldn't be the responsibility of the workers to make space for this. Like it yeah. should be part of how the employer understands mental health for the people doing this job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. So that it's, you're not placing the burden on the person to figure it out. But, you know, I think that, you know, I think it could be a lobbying point. I don't know if anybody's Mm -hmm. like pushing for that, but I would think in, in a profession like that, it it would be incredible to allow for that. Right. And then, and then it, again, yeah, it brings back the meaning to their work. Right. And, And they're not just feeling like they're just, you know, rounded up and pushing patients through the door. I do know that a lot of places like this is bereavement leave and like the specifics around bereavement leave are becoming a flashpoint, for lack of a better word. And a lot of contract negotiations, Mm -hmm. both on like the state level. And I think it's Illinois who just pushed through uh, a more expansive understanding of bereavement to include chosen family. It's not paid time off, but it is time off. And so I think we're seeing that and it, it becomes more commonplace. Hopefully this can become something that like becomes a center point of as we refine the workplace to try to make it a place where we can be more human just generally and less yeah. productivity robots. Yeah, there are a couple states that are further along than others. Mm-hmm. But um and it is I do think, you know, coming through the pandemic too that's opened up all kinds of conversations yeah. that weren't opened yeah. before because I don't know how you cannot be touched by grief in some sort of way and also because we've we had more flexibility just because of no one was going anywhere. 
I think it is making people rethink and, and be less afraid to bring those things up to be like, look, I'm going to want to work from home or yeah. I, want, I need some flexibility. And so hopefully it just continues and that people keep pushing. But, but the key is, I don't know. I feel like the culture of work, like the way we talked to our bosses and things is changing. I think there used yeah. to be so much more fear and now people, yeah. there were always the people that would be like, I'm busting in there and asking for a raise, you know? like, <laughs> but, but many people do not. But I do think mm -hmm. it's hopefully shifting to like, you don't have to be so timid. It's a boss, it's a person. Like you can advocate for yourself and ask for things. And hopefully people are more vocal about that. I have some exciting news. Crooked Media Reads' first book, Mobility, by Lydia Kiesling, is out now. It's a coming-of-age story about navigating a world of corporate greed that's both laugh-out-loud funny and politically incisive. Reading isn't just for tweets anymore, so get your copy of Mobility now at crooked.com slash mobility and listen to our episode with Lydia from just a few weeks ago. It's in the archives. So our next question is about the kind of like administrative situation that can make a huge difference for someone who's grieving. This is from Alexis. My question is what you think the best practice is on how to announce a death in a coworker's family. And I'm asking this because when my dad died, um, some people at my work knew and I informed my immediate supervisor, but she did not tell the whole office. So they had no idea why I was out for a few days. And then I was just obviously very out of it and grieving when I got back. I get it's an awkward conversation for a boss to have, but I do think it's worse to leave the grieving employee to explain, but I understand I may have a dirty lens on that. All right. This is a tricky one. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? What could have gone differently here? Well, I think first of all, it's up to the individual, obviously, because yep. everyone's different. Yep. Everybody handles grief different. Some people want to be super private. So I was working and then my mom went into hospice. Like it was like, it was a very quick thing. Like we knew it was going to happen at some point, but when it happened, it was like, okay, I got to get a plane ticket. I got to go. So I think I told my boss, I think my boss did ask me like, do you want me to tell people? And I yeah. said, I said, yes, because I didn't, what am I going to send an email blast? <laughs> hey, right. you know, so right. I, he did ask me, which I appreciated. Um, yeah. and I think he just told at least my closest coworkers so I could share the work, but I think it's up to the person, but I do think that having a boss maybe let people know, is nice because yeah then you don't have to go in and feel like okay is everyone looking at me nobody knows there's this big secret hanging in the room I would want a boss to to let everyone know what's going on and why I was gone yep. and yep. then maybe they can do something nice for you or you know just have patience and understanding when you come back so they're not like okay so you've been gone for five days where's this you know file that we need and then you're just a burst into tears and have to explain yeah. yourself you know so I would think having them say something would be the best. Well, and I think the employee can also set the parameters too. A good manager would set up a few options, would say, I can tell people that you're going through something mm -hmm. and that's going to be the case for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you'd prefer not to have any questions about it. Yeah. Or you could say, and because some people want this, right? They want to say, her dad's dying. She really would love to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Some people love to be asked questions so they can just like tell stories about yeah. the person that they loved, right? Or they they process that way. And even if it's a coworker, maybe they don't feel awkward doing that, right? 
Yeah, because there is that weird feeling. Like, I remember the first day I went back. My mom's funeral was on a Wednesday. I went back on Monday because I had already been gone mm-hmm. about 10 days. And I yeah, I think part of me was like, okay, I'm just going to get back to routine. I'm going to get back to work. Yeah. I've already taken time. And part of it was guilt. Like, I've already taken time off. So let me just get back to work and it'll distract me, you know? Yeah. And I remember that first meeting in the morning. I was just... I, it felt awkward, even though I knew that everyone knew, but I was just like, is right. everyone looking at me as like the one that lost the mom? And are they wondering if I'm going to burst into tears? And am I going to burst into right. tears? And like, it felt kind of awkward, but people came up and said, you know, I'm so sorry. And that was, that helped me, right? That I didn't have to yeah. sit there and go, this is why I was gone. Um, and I still ended up bursting into tears like an hour later. And that's just going to happen. Um, right. I think that's another part of it is just... You know, we're always supposed to not cry at work, but when this kind of thing happens, you know, it, it may and probably will happen, and that's just human. And I think one thing that could do a lot of heavy lifting is an out-of-office reply. Mm-hmm. And that's where you personally can do some of the work of deciding how you want people to respond to you yeah. or how you want to phrase it. And if you normalize that within mm-hmm. your organization – then it's not weird yeah. when you put it on and also gives you some ideas for what the language can look like mm-hmm. too. And that's something that I think like a really good manager would start having conversations about that already, right? Like, because it's so normal for us to put on an out of office responder for when we're taking PTO for other reasons. Mm-hmm. I didn't put one on, but I kind of wish I did because then I wouldn't have to deal with like responding to emails being like, uh, I'm sorry I didn't reply to this. My dog died tragically <laughs> and very young, and I can't deal with anything. So then instead, like the the autoresponder is doing the work of broadcasting yeah. it to as many people so that they can't ask things of me. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I think, again, each individual can make the decision on how they'd like to wield it. Yeah. But if you create that atmosphere, like even from the top echelons of leadership, like having that modeled, that that's something that you're allowed to do when – not allowed, but encouraged to do when you're on bereavement leave. Like, I think that would be such a great model for an office. I agree. Because I think, you know, part of the problem with grief white so hard is people are just so scared to talk about it. Right. And it's yeah. this hush, hush, like funeral's over, get back to life. Like, don't, and people are scared to talk about it because they don't want to trigger the grieving person when you right. know we're always triggered all the time. And, um, you know, so it's just, it becomes quiet, right? It just becomes tamped down. It becomes quiet because nobody wants to upset anybody else. But yeah, if it's, made more you know if it's normalized like okay it's okay to write what you want and and express yourself and then I think it would it would help like all levels of people yeah well and some people I know too have done things like when they've come back to work they have like dropped their loved one's obituary in slack just to be like this is the person that I was grieving like I was you know I want to celebrate him I want you to know him in some capacity And so people don't want to do that at all. So the more that we can have all these different like models of of how grief looks in the workplace, the better, I think. Yeah, I agree. So our last question is from someone who is basically in charge of making their own policy, (laughs) like I did, around bereavement leave, but doesn't know how to actually make it happen. This is from Erin. I'm self-employed and need some advice about how to handle unexpected bereavement leave. I don't have a team to take on my extra workload, and many of my clients operate with really slim teams too. So if I'm not doing the work, it's often just not getting done. How do you recommend I approach this type of unexpected yet necessary time off with clients? That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of pressure. And I also think, though, that people will give you some grace. Yes, I do. I do too. And I think, 
you know, now working for myself too, it's like, it's all, yeah, if I'm not writing the thing, it's not getting written. And, you know, so there's that pressure to be like, well, I don't want to, I don't want everything to fall apart, but chances are it it won't and it'll be okay. But I think, you know, yeah, creating your own boundaries and just saying, look, this is what's going on. I'm going to need a couple weeks. And it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to like, one thing I have learned is, is just being very kind to yourself and yeah. allowing yourself, like being patient and being kind and just saying, look, I, I, I know I'm a hard worker, but if I take these weeks or whatever and just take care of myself and take a bath or whatever I need to do, like, then that's totally okay because life's going to keep moving and work will happen. And, and, you know, unless you're like saving the planet, like it, it's, going to be okay and I think yeah if you if you just let people even know. if you're saving the planet <laughs> honestly like no matter what your job is like it's still gonna it's still gonna be It'll there get done. yeah and and I think that if you don't take some time to grieve it's gonna come back yes even worse. kick you in the ass yeah right yeah it, it is gonna it's gonna be there like yeah. <laughs> and that's not to say that taking some time is gonna make it so that it's not gonna come back and kick yeah. you in the ass but maybe kick you in the ass yes, a little in lighter a, in a different way uh, yeah yes but I do think that like think about if someone came to you and said I lost someone so special to me I'm like I needed an, an extra week on this yeah can you give me a little grace of course you'd say yes yeah right? so like course. how can you model that same sort of compassion yeah towards yourself? I, I think it may be one thing that this person could do if it's useful, reach out to some of their freelancer friends mm-hmm. and be like, can I, I just need you to tell me that this is okay. Yeah. If a client is going to be horrible about that, then probably, you know, they're I mean, bad clients. They're bad, <laughs> they're bad people. Um, and right. you know, we need to make money and pay the bills, but like, you know, I'm a big fan of the whole, like life is too short thing. So, yeah. but yeah, I think reaching out, like asking friends, like, would this be okay to do? And you know, just talking to clients, I'm, I'm sure they would be understanding. And just the thing about grief too is it's kind of, it's the day by day, moment by moment. Like you may think, yeah. oh, maybe I take two days off, but then you're like, actually I need a week. Or maybe you think I need a week and, you, and you're like two days in, you're like, I actually need work. And so just being flexible with like, yeah, what you're going to need in the moment may change yep. and to be okay with that. And just, and don't, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So yeah. just be, be in the moment with like what you need as a person. Yeah, like really listening to yourself. Yeah. And that's hard because I think we're taught when it comes to work to not listen to ourselves. No. Yeah. Right? To that's, push through whatever. Yeah. Like I always think about the fact that like I used to be at the office in New York at around like 5.30, 5.45, like I'd have a weird feeling in my stomach and like my shoulders would be aching and like a little headachey, right? All of those were things of like my body was screaming at me, stop working, <laughs> And You're I'm like, like, what oh, is this feeling? Why would I listen to my body? <laughs> yeah, right? it's a stupid thing. <laughs> and so if you're so tired, if you can't sleep, mm-hmm. if you can sleep, you can't stop sleeping, if you're not hungry, like all of these things, there's just so many ways that grief manifests in the yeah, body. Definitely. And like figuring out like, okay, that's grief talking to me. Yeah. Like I need to be more attentive to that grief mm-hmm. and and spend some time with it. I the thing that I did was I gave myself permission to take the entire week off, which is something like even when I take PTO, I oftentimes like still am doing tiny like just tiny yeah. little work things. And even though I I didn't know if I would need that whole time, but just giving myself the gift of that week to mm-hmm. allow sounds cheesy, but to like allow the grief to breathe. Yeah. 
to not have that limit on it. And I, and I also, I gave myself permission that like, oh, if you need more after that, like, obviously you can figure that out. And the people, you know, whether it's my wonderful producer for this podcast, Melody, or, you know, I had a freelance assignment for a women's magazine and I emailed my editor and was like, I'm going to need another week for this. Like all of it went really well. And I know that other people might not expect that. I think that's what we're trained. We're trained to think that other people are going to respond really negatively, but maybe we can like hope for the best (laughs) in the way we act to each other. Definitely. So the last thing that I think that we should address is that there are ways that you can kind of anticipate these moments. And it might be a time when you can't work because of grief. It might be because of illness or injury. There are so many reasons that you might not be able to to work for a couple of weeks. And do you have any ideas about things that like freelancers in particular like us could do to kind of create that safety net for each other? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, if you work for yourself and it's something that somebody else could help with, you know, yeah. if, it, if it's an article you're supposed to write, you know, hopefully that can just be postponed. Or if it's something super timely, maybe there's somebody that you can say, can I hand this off to you? Right. Or can you take on this project or this client while I'm, while I'm gone just to have, you know, so you're not feeling totally adrift or totally lost. And then maybe communicating with the client or whoever you need to work with to say like, this could happen just so you know, so everybody's sort of prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's such a great idea that I hadn't even considered that if let's say I really need it, like I just felt incapable of writing for a month. I have other newsletter writers that I'm very close with that I am sure would write a guest mm-hmm. post yeah. for my newsletter during that time. Yeah. Like for this podcast, we could find guest hosts to, mm-hmm. to take my place for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, you know, some of those things would mean like, oh, maybe I wouldn't get paid for a couple of weeks for like doing this podcast. But also I hope that one thing that we all have learned to do <laughs> for better or worse is to create a little bit of a cushion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because catastrophes happen in life and we need to be able to like not be so worried about money. Yeah. And not add that to the stress of that you're already yes. feeling when you're, especially when you're grieving to just have to worry about that too. And I know a lot of people don't have a choice in that. You know, it's like, yeah, you have to go back to work, but having money stress on top of it is just, it's too much. Yep. Sometimes people call it like a fuck off fund, right? <laughs> Which is like, not like go fuck around, yeah. but like. To be able to say, like, if you if you can't give me an extra week, like, I can absorb that financially. Yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. Right? Yeah, it's good for your mental health, for sure. All right. So if people want to find more from you, mm-hmm. where can they find it on the internet? Like, talk to us more about your favorite place to buy your book. <laughs> your yeah. local indie bookstore would be, a yeah. good, would be a good spot, but you can get it anywhere. It's called So Sorry yeah. for Loss. And... Um, I'm online at dinagashmanwrites.com and I'm on, well, now everybody's on a million platforms, but um, <laughs> I, know, I don't right? even know where to start. Uh, but, you know, Twitter and Instagram and then, you know, threads, of course. All right. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was really wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Work Appropriate. If you need advice about a sticky situation at work, we're here for you. Submit your questions at workappropriate.com or send a voice memo with your question to workappropriate at crooked.com. We love building episodes around your questions and you can stay as anonymous as you'd like. 
Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, or you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. Front Burner is your essential daily news podcast. Every weekday, the podcast discusses the major events and fault lines shaping the world today and covers everything from politics and economics to social movements. And even really fun things like the enduring relevance of The Lord of the Rings. Listen to Front Burner from the CBC everywhere you get your podcasts.